welcome to Keeping It OD Podcast and happy Monday. We are finally back with a brand new episode after almost two months. Thank you for being so patient with me. I've been working on a lot of exciting content, so stay tuned and don't miss out anything by following the podcast on Instagram at keepin.it.od. But enough about that. Today we are back with a brand new interview episode, and this was a highly requested one. Um, Today I have with me Lyle Tate from the University of Houston. Um, Lyle is the Director of Admissions, Recruiting, and Advising for the University of Houston College of Optometry. He's held that position for almost a decade now, and he has a passion for talking about UHCO and the field of optometry in general to pre-optometry students and pre-health professionals. Um, So he's excited to talk to you about UHCO and what it has to offer today. Lyle, thank you so much for being our guest today. Hey, thanks a lot. You're welcome. Alrighty, so um, we're going to break up the episode into three different sections today. So the first set of questions are going to be the admissions related questions, and then we're going to jump into program related questions. And lastly, we'll answer some listener questions. Um, So in the first segment with the admission related questions, we'll start with the basic. Um, What everyone wants to know is what you're looking for in an applicant. So grades wise, involvement, experience, etc. Right, sure. Yeah, I would say that here at UHCO, we're looking for like four main things. One would be, you know, a strong academic foundation, of course. Um, We do not have a base or minimum GPA that's required to apply to our program. Um, We accept and review all applications, but our competitive average GPA is around a 3.5. Secondly, we're looking for really solid OAT scores. Um, Again, there's no minimum that you have to have, but um, typically our competitive average is around a 330 um, academic average and total science there. Um, Third is going to be knowledge of the profession, and that can come from shadowing, from working as a tech, from volunteering, from, you know, doing research about the schools, from you know, interviewing ODs and, and current students, just you can never have too much knowledge about this field that you're going into. And that, you know, certainly goes to um, different modalities of practice and different ways that you, you know, can use your degrees, you know, when you get down the line. Um, and then, you know, fourth, I would say is, is the applicant themselves. You know, we're looking for passion and desire and, you know, grit and integrity and, you know, something that makes you unique. Um, and people, you know, people ask all the time, how do I stand out as an applicant? And that is probably the hardest question to ask because how do I know what you'll, you know, how do I know how you'll stand out because uh, everybody, you know, should highlight whatever makes them unique. Um, and so that's a great way to stand out. And just, um, you know, we're just really looking for who you are as a person, not just their own paper. So yeah, those are the biggies. Awesome. So um, you mentioned some of those and you don't really have a set minimum or, you know, you said the averages are the 3.5 and the 3.30, um, but can you get invited to interview without taking the OET or with scores below average or does that kind of, um, is on a case by case Sure, basis? so the first part is a no. No, we do need your OAT scores. We need your entrance exam scores before you get an interview. Um, I, you know, collect, and I know we'll kind of touch on this in a little bit, but I collect all of the uh, application information, all the, you know, supporting documents, 
and I have to have them all before I assign them to our faculty. They want to see everything at once. Um, as far as invited with lower scores, I mean, I guess we're talking, I guess my question is how low are we talking? Uh, you know, and if a 330 is the average, then kind of give you an idea. Um, yes, you know, you could certainly get an interview with really, you know, any score. I mean, there, since we don't have a minimum, I can't say that you wouldn't, uh, but we do try to, you know, keep an eye out for, for scores that are in the competitive range. Gotcha. Um, and another question. So can you or would you recommend um, applicants applying prior to taking the OAT? Like if they plan on taking the OAT, would you recommend that they apply early? Would you still review it and just wait on the OAT or would you want it to um, just all be like together? When they no, apply? exactly. Yeah, you can totally send in your application before you take your OAT. There's plenty of things that can be happening with it while you're still prepping and getting ready for your exam. Um, you know, it's going to take a, a couple weeks, a few weeks for OptumCast to verify everything. Um, and then once we get it, you know, we go through, uh, you know, make sure all the prereqs are either taken or planned or, you know, that we know that you know what you have to take. Um, and, you know, I, that gives time for your letters of recommendation to be coming in for you to complete our supplemental application. So again, yeah, there's plenty of things that can be happening with it. Um, you know, while you're getting ready for your OAT. And then yes, we would just put it in a little queue that, you know, says, hang on to this, you know, until I have your OAT scores, which you can send me your unofficials. Um, you know, the day you take your OAT, you're going to get your unofficial scores. And so mm -hmm. we can work from those until we have your official ones in our database. Sure. Awesome. That's a good bit of information to know. Um, so we talked about how to um, qualify for an interview and get an interview from UHCO. So when you get the interview invitation, how can you prepare for it? Um, whether that being virtual, I don't know if you're still doing virtual or you're back to in person, but just kind of give us an idea of what applicants should expect for the interview day and how can they prepare for it? Sure. Yeah, I actually do a whole presentation on how to prepare for an interview. <laughs> um, so sort of some of the, I guess, highlights of that. Um, you know, do your research first. Um, I mean, one assumes that if you're applying to a school, you've, you know, read about it, you've, you know, researched the website, you've maybe talked to current students there, or to at least, you know, someone in their admissions office, just, you know, have an idea about the unique things that this school offers you know, know about the city where it's located. If you can, you know, check out that city. This is going to be your home for the next four years and beyond, maybe, you know, so you really want to love where you're going to be. Um, I always say, you know, try to, especially if you're coming in person, you know, try to do a dry run. I like to, you know, go somewhere, you know, go and, and see how long it takes to get there and where's parking and where am I going to go? You know, that just gives you a, a good you know, I, sort of way to prep, prepare for the day, you know, so you're not rushed uh, any more than necessary that next morning or when you actually have your interview. Um, you know, and again, it's totally fine to make some notes, you know, make some notes about what, you know, things you want to know specifically about the school and maybe some highlights of the things that you can bring to the school and add to that program, because you're almost certainly going to get asked a question like that. Um, and just, you know, be prepared to talk about what you love and why this is your passion. Um, I like to tell people, you know, all of these questions are about you. You already know all the answers, so there's no reason to be nervous. <laughs> it's totally about you. 
Um, and just, yeah, highlight what you love about this field and, you know, ways that you envision using your degrees. And certainly that could change over the next few years, but um, just to kind of be ready to really field anything that you put in your application. Um, so it's a good idea to sort of, you know, have a little refresher, kind of read through what you wrote, maybe read your um, essay again and just, you know, kind of refresh yourself about, oh yeah, I did touch on that because you may get a question about whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So um, for this next, uh, uh, sort of the upcoming cycle, do you plan on doing virtual or in-person interviews or is it gonna be like a mixture of both? I, I can imagine, I think we're gonna do sort of a, a little mixture. Mostly we're going back to in-person. Um, the majority of our interview days will be in-person, but I do plan to offer um, you know, a virtual interview day maybe every month, every other month or something like that um, for folks that still need to do that. We'll just kind of see what the, the demand, the need for that is once we get underway. Um, here at UHCO, we start uh, setting interviews in July. You know, we'll reach out to applicants uh, to set an interview date, uh, but we don't actually start our interviews until September. We don't interview every week, but we interview most weeks, uh, one, one day per week. And that, that day kind of depends on when the uh, admissions faculty are available to help. So it kind of changes each cycle this, this past um, this past cycle, it was on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, we, we interview most weeks, not every week, but uh, we'll set up mostly in person, but but I do want to keep offering a, a virtual option for those who, you know, maybe don't have the funds to travel or, you know, aren't feeling totally ready to get out in the world, uh, the same as we did before. So uh, yeah, we will offer both, I feel sure. That's awesome. Um, so if you are coming in person um, to interview day, what does kind of the schedule look like? What should you expect? Do you get there the night before? You said kind of do a dry run. Is that yeah. totally unnecessary or is that just what you recommend? And oh, that's just a tip. That's just, yeah, that's just my recommendation. <laughs> and uh, we have here at UH, we actually have a really, really, really fabulous um, Hilton, two buildings over from the college. So it's super close. And so we like to, you know, recommend that folks stay there if they want to. And um, it's right on the light rail train line so folks can you know take the train into downtown and explore the city um so what we typically do uh, for an interview day is we start we start about 9 30 or or so and um typically about eight to ten applicants on an interview day i don't like a really big group i take that back i wouldn't what i mean is i don't want to schedule a really big group meaning like 15 to 20 um, because this is, it's a really important day and I want the applicants, I want you to feel like this is your day and that you are not just a face in a crowd or that there's so many people here that, you know, you're not getting specific, you know, special treatment because you totally should. Um, and so about, you know, eight or so applicants and we um, just kind of have a little getting to know you conversation and we sit around and talk. I'm with you pretty much all day. Um, and I share a, a presentation about our program and um, we talk to our financial aid advisor and he shares some really great info on, on anything dollar sign related, whether it's FAFSA or loans or scholarships, uh, grant money, anything to help pay for optometry school. We talk about that. Um, there'll be a tour as a part of the day. We'll, we'll take a tour of our facilities and see the clinic and see the labs and classrooms and um, everything is right here in our building. Um, so we don't have to, you know, travel away from campus to, to see anything. Um, 
we'll, you'll, you'll have lunch with some current students. That's kind of the best part of the day, uh, just because they're able to really be a fantastic resource for our applicants. Um, and then you actually go into the interview part of the day and you will individually meet with a small panel of faculty. And it's usually, you know, three to four faculty members who really, you know, come from, uh, you know, our didactic, uh, you know, classroom education, our, their clinicians, their researchers, administrators, and they're really excited to meet with you. That's the, that's the thing. It's not, it's absolutely not confrontational. It's not scary. <laughs> you know, these are faculty who volunteer to do this. They love the, the applicant, you know, the application process and um, they're just really excited to get to know you. The interview is very conversational. It is really, really, I like to say it is the, the most laid back professional interview day <laughs> that you could imagine. Um, it's just a really great conversation for about 20 to 30 minutes, you know, about who you are and again, what your passions are and why you chose this field. And, you know, maybe some things that you feel that you accomplished that, you know, help prepare you for a really, really rigorous um, curriculum here, um, ways that you want to use your degree and um, just sort of some interests that you have outside of optometry and outside of the classroom and off the page. Um, we laugh a lot in interviews. I mean, I, I, that's one of my personal uh, mantras. You know, I think we have to, you have to laugh every single day about something, you know. So we do that. Um, and then, <coughs> excuse me, to sort of wrap up the day um, after everybody has interviewed, we, um, you know, sort of meet briefly and just kind of you know, put a little period on the day and that, that's sort of it. <coughs> Great. Um, so you kind of got me a jumpstart on to our last question for the admission related questions, which is what happens next? Because I know for me and many others, when you go through the interview, it's obviously nerve wracking up until that point, but then after you've completed the interview, you get the what if, like, what could I have done differently, better, worse, like I was probably so awkward. So when you've completed your interview day at UHCO, um, what should you expect next? Like, is it gonna be like an immediate email? Like, hey, we were like so excited to meet you today. Like, this is what you should expect or what's kind of the timeline um, so that people who maybe complete the interview don't freak out, um, mm -hmm. they don't hear back right away. Yeah, so we typically have feedback for you within a week. Um, what we do is um, I collect uh, notes from your interview from the, the admissions faculty, um, and I put it, you know, in, with, uh, in a format to prepare for our dean. Um, and our dean, Dr. Tuah, reviews everything and, you know, makes decisions and signs some letters. And then I, I will be back in touch with everyone, typically with, within a week. It's only rarely that that it takes you know longer than that and that's maybe if the dean is traveling or if you know we're closed for some reason or if it's a holiday or, or something like that but uh, yeah pretty quickly and so we you know make offers of course and uh, we also have a very short you know um, alternates list that that the faculty might ask you to to be a part of for a little while um, but regardless you know i'll definitely get feedback to you Awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask that question. So you will get feedback regardless if it's an offer, if it's a, um, an alternate list, or if it's a denial. You will right. get some sort of feedback. Oh, yes, for sure. 
Great. Alrighty, so we are going to um, move right along to our program related questions. So anyone that you know goes through the interview process loves the school, but they just want to know a little bit more about the curriculum and um, the OD program at Houston. So if you just want to start us off by just giving us a brief overview of the OD curriculum at Houston. Do you mean like what kind of classes do you take or what sort of, you know, what do you yeah, want to know? So um, how is it like broken up? So like with didactic wise, when do you start seeing patients? Um, I got you. I thought maybe you wanted to know like what the curriculum itself was. I got you. Uh, yeah. So, so you, lots of lectures, lots of labs the first year. So there's no direct patient care during opt one, uh, but you will be in 20 and then I think 21 semester credit hours. So it's really um, a high volume of material coming at you pretty fast. Um, between first and second year, there's no class. So that summer you are free. Um, there is a really, really great research opportunity um, for students that maybe discover they have, you know, maybe even the, a little bit of interest in research. Um, that summer you can be a part of, but uh, no OD curriculum uh, that summer. Um, second year, you come back and um, our second year students take a proficiency exam or uh, like a skills exam, we'll call it, usually toward the end of that semester. Uh, historically, it's been uh, sort of toward the beginning of Thanksgiving week. Um, and this gauges all of those procedural, you know, practicum skills that you've been practicing to get you ready for patient care, uh, because you will start your patient care spring of second year, so spring of op two. Um, you're still in classes and labs, of course, but you're starting to incorporate a few hours per week of patient care. Moving into the summer after second year, so your first semester third, um, you're with us all that summer in patient care and you do take seven hours of coursework that summer. Um, and then of course throughout third year, you are heavily involved in the clinic. You're still in some classes and labs, but you're spending a lot of time downstairs in, in patient care in our University Eye Institute. Um, and then fourth year is also three semesters. So summer, fall and spring, one of those three, you're actually here on site um, in our college, seeing patients, uh, wrapping up you know, all of your um, curricular requirements for that year. <clears throat> and then the other two semesters of fourth year, you're on externships. Um, so our students complete two semester long externships. Um, and we have, we have right about 60 externship sites. Most of them are here in Texas. Uh, but we do have um, a handful of sites throughout the rest of the country, and we have one Canadian site right now. Um, and they're at a really great variety of types of sites, um, whether they're, you know, you're, you're working with, you know, an OD in a, a really small Texas town where maybe you're seeing everybody for miles and miles around, or uh, maybe you go up to a really, really strong active group practice in Austin, um, or maybe you go out to San Diego to the Naval Base and work with the Navy SEALs or um, over to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, or maybe you go up to Tahlequah. We actually send five or six students um, every semester up to NSU, um, and they work with the, the Tahlequah students in their clinics and also see Indian Health Services um, patients up there. So yeah, it's just a really great variety of, of types of externship sites. Great. Um, so what is the estimated number of patients that students are predicted to see by the end of their program? Do you give so, an estimate? Yeah, so here in the building, we tend to average around, around 1,500 
Um, but of course, that's before you factor in any patients that you may see, you know, in volunteer opportunities and some screenings that you'll do, certainly before you go out into your externships. Uh, I mean, you'll see just many, many, many more than that, you know, typically in an externship site. Um, so it's well over that, but we, we tend to say around 1500 or so here in the building. Awesome. Um, so what is the patient population like in Houston? So what kind of um, disease or procedures that um, students are exposed to while at the clinic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would wager that we have the very best patient population. <laughs> I'm going to put that out there. Um, really, I mean, the city, think about the city of Houston. This is the most amazing city in the world. Um, we are the number one most diverse city in the United States. And so that translates into our patient population. Um, our students get to treat patients from all over the world. I like to say, you know, people from all over the world live in Houston. And so people from all over the world come here to the UEI for their eye care. Um, our students see and are, you know, really fortunate to be able to treat just a, a huge variety of pathology and ages of students. We have a really great relationship with the Houston Independent School Districts. So our student clinicians treat lots of elementary and junior high age kids, um, which is really great, you know, for being in a city that has such a, a huge population and, and such diversity, all the way up through, you know, patients in their hundreds, you know, so you'll um, really have an opportunity to treat just a wide, wide variety of types of patients. Uh, of course, you know, we're in the South and we, you know, have a lot of um, diabetes, a lot of hypertension. Um, so there's plenty, plenty things that uh, you can diagnose while you're here. Awesome. Um, do you think that um, starting this next academic year, patients, uh, I mean, students are going to be allowed back into the community where they can do the school screenings or anything like that? Or you mm -hmm. know, you're not really sure? I've not heard for sure on that, but I, I feel like we will. We do a lot of screenings on campus also, and then um, as different outreach opportunities in the city. Um, the mayor of Houston does this wonderful thing called the Mayor's Back to School uh, Bash, um, and it's you know in August each year for um, elementary school kids all throughout the city. And so we, we do vision screenings as a part of that. So I really, really hope that that returns because that's such a great way of service to you know kick off the year. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. Um, so we're going to um, go back into talk about academics a little more. So just upon scrolling through the website, I see that you don't just offer the OD degree. There's um, a couple other degrees that students can earn. So do you want to talk a little bit about the different degrees that students can get while simultaneously earning their OD degree? Sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we of course, we have our four-year, you know, professional OD program, but we also offer um, a Master of Science and a PhD in Physiological Optics and Vision Science, and there are combos of all of those. So, you know, we have students here currently who are just getting a master's and some who are just getting a PhD, um, but you can do combos of all of that. So, um, after your first year, uh, I mentioned, you know, there is a summer research opportunity that you can be a part of, and that's kind of the kickoff to um, you know, being involved in a master's degree. Um, you can, you would start that summer research program and 
um, complete that and the master's track is a 30 hour program that summer is um, 16 hours right there so you're over halfway done uh, before you even get involved um, and then you would intersperse the rest of those hours throughout second third and fourth year um, and so as a result you know a, a student can graduate with both their you know od and a master's um, in the same four years time um, and so you still graduate with your cohort um, and it, the one of the greatest parts of that is it costs zero extra dollars um, and you actually get paid uh, through a stipend for um, the work that you do in research. And so it's, it's just a really great opportunity there as well. And there's combos with the PhD, but um, I think that, you know, most students in historically at least have sort of finished their OD and then they kind of dive into the PhD uh, research work. So yeah, there's just so many different ways uh, to utilize your degrees and, and you know, decide what you want to do and, and what your passions are. That sounds like a great opportunity. So um, in order to be considered for another degree, do you have to do like a whole separate application and interview process or how are you considered for that um, if you'd yeah. like to participate? Sure, yeah. So um, yes is the short answer to that. Um, our Office of Graduate Studies will share a lot of information with um, our first year students as far as what the what those other um, degrees entail and what the application process is. Um, and then I know they do take their GRE. Um, and so, yes, there is a, a sort of a separate process there, but you don't have to, you don't even have to know that now, you know, you, you, you would start, um, you know, with your OD cohort um, and then learn a lot more about those degrees along the way. Awesome. Um, so my next question here, um, do you particularly have like a, uh, um, national boards prep class or how do you prepare your students for the national boards? Yeah, first and foremost, you're amazingly prepared because of this curriculum. Um, you know, our students are just really, really well prepared just because they've, they've, you know, sat, they've learned through the curriculum here already. Um, we encourage our students to take part in, in KMK classes or opto prep. Um, it's up to them, uh, but certainly it's highly recommended. Um, our faculty will do sort of like lunch and learn refreshers and um, sort of, you know, reminders of, of different aspects and, and skills, depending on what part of the boards, you know, the students are prepping for. Um, our students will do sort of little panel discussions. Obviously, they don't, you know, they can't share what's on the boards, but they can help students prepare for it, you know, and prepare for the exam itself. So, yes, we're very involved with um, you know, students getting prepared for the boards for sure. Plus we have our boards lane downstairs. We have, uh, you know, students have access to a lot of practice lanes um, as they're getting ready to take part three, uh, but we have what we call our NBEO, um, you know, boards room downstairs uh, to where it's set up just like the lane in Charlotte. So um, students can, you know, check out the key to that room and go in and, and really work through the whole process and the script and, you know, kind of get it all um, in line for, for their trip to Charlotte. Awesome. So we are coming up um, onto our last program related question, and this one's kind of a doozy. So um, <laughs> failure is something that you never anticipate. So when you're going to optometry school, you know, you're full of hope, excited, um, but it's bound to happen um, to someone sometime. So how do you support your students when such um, crisis arises? 
Yeah, so that is actually a really long answer, probably. <laughs> so there's a lot of avenues of support. You are never, ever, ever alone. We don't ever want a student to think, you know, that, that she or he is making it through this program with no help. You know, first, you're, you're paired with a mentor. So every incoming student is paired with a second year. And, you know, they're your mentor, not just that first semester, but all throughout the program. Um, and they really, really help you make that transition, you know, into a professional school environment. And, you know, what is it like to take so many, you know, semester credit hours each year and I mean, each semester and what does that look like? And when do I breathe and when do I have a life? You know, so they'll definitely help you with all of that. Um, and then you, you know, once you become a second year, you keep your mentor, but you get a mentee. And so that family grows and that support system, that really close support system can grow. Um, we work closely with our CAPS department here on campus, and that stands for um, Counseling and Psychological Services, and they do a lot of really great um, workshops and features on, well, like, for example, like time management and anxiety and, you know, dealing with test preparation and study skills and, and all kinds of things like that. So we, we work closely with them. Um, our office, that's a big part of what we do, is we are here to, to visit, to talk, to support. Um, our assistant dean for student affairs is the most amazing person, and um, she is the liaison for all of our students, you know, between, you know, life and the academic side of this world. Um, and so, you know, if a student, you know, has a situation occur, um, and maybe something happens academically, they will visit with our academic committee, which is made up of faculty and students. Again, that, that again is not a, um, I, I, I hesitate to say it's not scary because I'm sure you're, you're, you're a little hesitant, you know, and, and worried to go before them, but they're not there to, you know, be confrontational. They're really there to understand what happened and how they can help students move forward. Um, a lot of times it's, you know, maybe somebody was just really overwhelmed with the amount of material, you know, and so they'll kind of help, you know, students come up with a study plan and how to approach you know this material again and um it all really begins though with our faculty um you know our our faculty are extremely accessible they want students to come see them come visit with them reach out ask questions not just if they have a problem you know they want them to to message them and and connect with them at every turn you know from day one um and so there's just it's a very very supportive environment um, you know, it's not this, oop, you failed a class, well, you're out. No, that is not us. Um, we really, really want to help a student to get to your end goal. You know, it's, it, it sometimes means that, you know, if you have to repeat a class, sometimes that, could, depending on what class it is, maybe, um, you know, may end up that you graduate with the, the next year, but hey, we're going to get you to graduation anyway. You know, we're going to help you do all we can to get you there. So, um, lots and lots of support here, uh, for sure. All right, that sounds great. Um, so we have a few questions from our listeners um, that they sent in um, about just school, Houston, just a um, whole um, host of questions. So the first one is, um, do you host any events on campus for students interested in applying? I'm assuming that's for like pre-optometry undergrad students. Right, we typically do. Um, of course, this last year, of course, affected everything. Uh, but yes, we typically offer um, 
in the spring. It's usually in April. We call it UHC Open House, um, and we do it on typically a Sunday, uh, and students, uh, high school students, parents, undergrads, post back students, everybody's a, a, a welcome to come. Um, and we do uh, sort of a, a tour of the facility, our faculty and residents and current students do demos and, uh, you know, talk about the different labs and everything the clinic relates to. And, um, and then we have like a student panel, uh, current student panel, uh, that's a part of the day. So uh, we, we do typically offer that in April and I, I really hope that it comes back this next spring. Awesome, and how do you um, apply or just, um find information about that program? Yeah, it'll be on our website for sure. It would be on our website and, um, you know, our Facebook group and any, all of our media out there. Awesome. Um, so the next question here um, asks, are there extra requirements for Canadian applicants? Not to my knowledge. No, we see a good many um, Canadian applicants. We have probably well, we just graduated. Um, <laughs> we definitely have a handful of Canadian students here in our program. We've had students from other countries as well. It's just right now, currently, as of this past year, I need to do my math for this this upcoming year. But you know, our program covered 33 U.S. states and Canada. So um, yeah, we we have students from all over, and yeah, we love 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 to see our Canadian applicants. Awesome. Um, our next question, um, do you super score the OET if attempted multiple times? We do not. We take it as a full exam. Now, of course, we're going to see all of your scores. So let's say an applicant takes it twice. Um, you know, we're going to see the first scores and then we're going to see the second scores. And people really, I think, worry a lot about, oh, what does it look like? Does it say I'm terrible? I had to take it a second time. Is that embarrassing? Is that a negative? It's not at all. It's all about improvement. It's all about what you did to, you know, assess why you had those first scores and how did you study differently? How did you approach it differently for the next part? What did you learn from, you know, maybe the way you need to uh, approach material? Um, so, seeing we do see you know both sets of scores we don't sort of cherry pick you know oh you had this physics score was great on this one and this orgo was on that one so we're going to use those no we use um the exam as a whole but that being said we do see all the scores that you take so in a way you might interpret it that way <laughs> but it's not we, we keep the scores together so you don't um, discourage applicants that took the OET multiple times from applying. It's not going to no. be used against them in any way. No, not at all. Not at all. Especially, you know, if you can, like I was saying, sort of address those issues, you know, and say, you know, I, I took the, you know, OET the first time I, here was the situation and I got these scores. And then I thought, you know, I need to take this again. And so I, you know, maybe used a different study tool or, um, I joined a, uh, an OAT prep team, you know, I had, you know, friends who were taking it and I studied with them as opposed to studying on my own the first time, or maybe the first time I didn't take very many practice exams and the test itself sort of knocked me out, you know, and so I took a lot of practice exams the second time and really, you know, got geared up for taking a day long exam. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with having to take it a second time. Awesome. 
Um, the next question here is about externships. And I know we touched on that earlier um, when you told us a little bit about the externship locations available to students. But this question asks, can externships be done anywhere or does it have to be at UHCO? I know some schools, um, you do have to do one of your um, externships at the school clinic. So um, what does that look like for um, Houston students? Right. So the three semesters of, of opt for, we call it in-house. I mean, we just say it's your in-house semester. So you're you know, completing the, the portion of the curriculum that's here that semester. Um, and then the other two, you, you do have some say in where you go on your externships, but it can't be just anywhere. It has to be at a, you know, UHCO selected and approved preceptor site. Yeah, so like from that list, um, you're free to choose whichever ones that you'd like to go to. You can, so what our students do in third year, um, they attend a couple events where they learn a lot about the sites themselves. Uh, they hear from former students who completed externships there. Sometimes they hear from the actual doctors who are preceptors at those uh, clinics. Um, those doctors actually are adjunct faculty for us. So, you know, someone who, um, you know, is a preceptor doctor, then they, they have that adjunct faculty status too, uh, because it is a very educational experience. It is, you will not just be, you know, scribing or tagging. I know you will be learning and, and teaching, uh, I mean, and seeing patients there. Um, so they learn a lot about the sites where they're located, what the specializations are, how many patients they'll typically see. Um, and then our third year students make a preference list. They make a, a, a list of you know, I'm most interested in these sites and they can even say, you know, I'd like to be here in Houston for the summer or for the fall, whatever they want to do. And then our administrators work with that list and they actually make the assignments, but they do use the students uh, preference sheets in, you know, having some some guidance on where they go. Awesome. Um, so our next question here is about missions. So it asks, do you participate in missions? If so, where do you usually go? So our student orgs, we have a huge, really, really broad range of student organizations that, that our students get involved with. Um, two of them specifically do a lot of outreach as far as missions. Our FCO is our uh, Fellowship of Christian Optometrists. And then our SFOSH team, our you know, Student Volunteer Optometric Services to Humanity. They um, do a lot of outreach and sometimes they do go on uh, mission trips or you know they travel we have relationships certainly with clinics in Guerrero Mexico um, and there have been other uh, Honduras I believe and there have been other uh, countries that our students have visited over the years uh, we have even we have a, a faculty member who at times has been able to offer a um, sort of a service trip as an elective course um, and so I think they, you know, prepare for it and then maybe do it over like the spring break week. Um, of course, again, COVID year had a lot to <laughs> say about whether that was able to happen. But, um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of outreach, a lot of service opportunity while you're here. Awesome. Um, so we're um, coming up on our very last um, listener question. And this one is just kind of a fun one. I don't think it relates too much to the school or curriculum or anything, but it's just asked what can be done in Houston, assuming like nightlife, um, what mm -hmm. is there to do um, if you're not from Houston, Texas? So this just kind of goes over your favorite places, just 
what do you love about Houston? Oh yeah, you can do everything in the world here. It's the <laughs> most fabulous city. Um, really, if you can imagine it, it's here. Like if you wake up one morning and say, today I would like to blank, you can totally do it here in Houston, whatever that is. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, from the arts, from museums and theater and concert venues to um, like science museums. And uh, it's just, it's just fantastic. And of course the food, um, I could talk about food all day long. <laughs> um, <laughs> the restaurant scene is phenomenal here. Food trucks are amazing. Um, if you, and especially because the city is, you know, so diverse, if you can think of, you know, a, a cuisine or a culture of a type of food, it's here, you know, so you can find it. The very best thing about this city is the people of Houston that make up this fabulous, you know, diverse city. Um, and so the cultures of the people here really make the city phenomenal. Um, yeah, the downtown life is is really wonderful. Of course, we've got you know all major sports and esports that are here, so uh, it's just a really cool. It's also a really great outdoor city. Yes, it's hot, <laughs> but I think people maybe just think, oh, it's just a city. We are actually um, we're recently ranked among cities um, with over a million population. We're actually number one when it comes to outdoor spaces and green spaces. Um, just the parks here are really fabulous and, and beautiful. And so there's a lot of opportunity to get outside here in Houston. We are the Bayou City. Um, and so you can actually get on kayaks and like, you know, kayak through the bayous, even right downtown. It's just, it's really cool. Um, so yeah, I love this city. Awesome. Um, well, Lyle, um, this is the end of today's episode. These were all the questions. Thank you for your time. I had such a great time recording. You are very, very welcome. Thank you. And thanks for everybody for the great questions. And um, that's a big part of what I do. So if anybody ever has in, you know, a question for me, or if it's a, a course specific question, something about prereqs or the application process, you know, I'm here and our, our, our team is here. So just holler at us anytime. Yeah. How can they contact you, Lyle? Uh, if you, do you want to sure. share that information? Yeah, so my email address is DL Tate. It's, it's David Lyle. So D-L-T-A-T-E at U-H dot E-D-U. Um, and you can call me, you can text me. I put my cell phone out there because normally I travel a lot for uh, recruiting opportunities. And so I just, you know, a lot of times I'm not at my desk phone. So you can always text me at 662-312-3610. Just tell me who you are and ask away <laughs> anytime. Uh, and then my, my work number, when I am actually at my desk, is 713-743-2044. Awesome. Thank you so much. So that is all for this week's episode. I hope you found it helpful. Thanks again to Lyle for being our guest today. And make sure to direct any application-specific questions to Lyle. Um, I also put his information in the episode details. And we'll see you right back here next week with a brand new episode. And as always, we'll be keeping it OD. Thank you, guys. <laughs>